0: You're listening to the Grace City Boston podcast. If you would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at gracecityboston.com or follow us on social media at Grace City Boston. Now, let's get to the sermon. mission as a church uh, is to proclaim the way of Jesus for uh, the good of the city, uh, and so our church is, is really organized around and really enamored with, and it has been changed by uh, the person of Jesus, and so um, uh, a lot of who we talk about and what we talk about um, is really surrounding um, this uh, dynamic uh, individual. Uh, who we believe was the most creative, um, intellectual uh, teacher uh, to ever walk the face of the earth. Uh, but even more so than a teacher, um, as powerful as a teacher as he was, uh, we also believe uh, that he was the son of God. And so we kind of just organize everything uh, in who we are uh, around Uh, Jesus. We're we're actually uh, coming out of a series um, where we've been looking at really a a powerful mechanism of Jesus, a a thing that he used um, all throughout uh, his ministry. That if you uh, read the Gospels—Matthew, Mark, Luke, or um, John—what you'll find in those um, gospel accounts uh, are things that we have traditionally called um, parables. Now, um, parables—if you were to look at like the formal definition of a parable—would would would simply say uh, parables are this kind of short. Non-complex moral story. Um, so this would be uh, a story that would be shared that isn't isn't going to be overly complex. There there's definitely some things going on underneath the story, uh, but you're going to be able to kind of follow along and see what's happening in the story. And they're also going to be um, short. And and all that is very true. Um, but what we've said that is, if you just read the parables of Jesus, um, that you're going to miss actually what they were about. Um, if you were to look at Jesus' ministry, uh, this is what we've been saying over the last few weeks. If you were to look at his ministry, what you would see is that Jesus is going into these various kind of rural towns in the Middle East, um, and he's bringing in these towns basically the same thing wherever he uh, goes. He's going to bring... uh, miracles miracles are very much a part of the ministry of Jesus. And so you read these gospel accounts and you see that he's um, healing people, he's feeding people, he's doing some pretty incredible things. And that, that's a part of the package that Jesus is bringing when he comes into a town. Uh, he's also bringing with him, uh, uh, part of this package, if you will, um, dinners. And so he's in, inviting uh, people to eat with him or he's inviting himself to other people's house to have, eat with them, right? Um, and, and he's welcoming people uh, that were traditionally would be considered outcasts, that based on their um, their background, their family, their ethnicity, would be considered social outcasts. And Jesus was going into these rural communities and taking these groups of people um, who were uh, hated um, or, or maybe just kept at a distance, um, and he was welcoming them at his table. That was a part of what uh, the what Jesus was doing uh, in his ministry. Another thing was just straightforward teaching. And so he was teaching about the kingdom of God. So you read uh, the New Testament and you're like, man, that's an incredible thought uh, about this thing or that thing. And it's just very direct and very straightforward. Uh, and then you have these things called parables uh, that were also a part of this package that Jesus was bringing in um, that were very, very powerful. Now, what we said about all of these things, miracles, dinners, parables, um, even the, the direct teachings, um, all of these things were more than what they seemed. Um, essentially, what's really happening in all this is what Jesus was doing in these three years of his ministry: is he was introducing a new reality, and he's essentially saying, "Okay, now I'm on the scene, and now that I'm I'm here, the new reality is an inbreaking of the kingdom of God in this moment." It's an in-breaking. Like the kingdom of God is here because I'm here. And so everything that he's doing is saying, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. So he feeds 5,000 people. And it essentially communicates that in the kingdom of God, no one goes hungry. It's an in-breaking. In that moment, think about that. Where food, in that moment, food is scarce. It's not, you know, they're not running to the restaurant or, or whatever, to the McDonald's. Like it's scarce. And, and Jesus, in, in one story, feeds... Over 5,000 people. What is he doing? Is he just feeding them for feeding them's sake? No. What he's doing is he's saying, in the kingdom of God, no one goes hungry. Or he heals someone who's been lame for years. Is he just healing them because he's a nice guy and he's he's friendly and he hates their pain? Well, that's some of it. But what he's really saying is that in the kingdom of God, brokenness is no more when he invites a prostitute to eat with him or to conversate with him or a a tax collector, someone who uh, traditionally would be unwelcome, what is he doing in that moment? Is he just being a nice guy and trying to change it up a bit culturally in that moment? No, what he's doing is he's saying, your background, your social status, what you've done in your past that you may regret, like all of those things in the kingdom of God are no more. That life in me, brings a new reality. See that? That's all that's, that's all of it. When he tells parables, what he's doing in that moment is he's giving us more than a moral story, although it could have some morals to it. He's saying to us, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. It's an inbreaking in this moment, in this particular story. Uh, author um, Philip Yancey uh, says this about parables. Uh, if you've been around here long enough, you just understand a, a very much a man crush on Philip Yancey. So anytime I can work in anything of his, um, this is what he says about parables. He says, if I focus on the ethics of the individual characters in a parable, or in the parables, I come away with a very strange message indeed. Obviously, Jesus did not give the parables to teach us how to live. He, uh, he gave them, I believe, to correct our notions about who God is and who God loves. Who God is and who God loves. This is the roles that the parables were playing. So our parable this morning, now, um, our parable this morning is not one that is as popular as some of the ones that we've done in the past. So uh, the last few weeks we've done uh, the parable of the lost sons, and so if you're familiar with church at all, you probably have heard that story before, or the parable of the lost It's probably better, the lost sons. Um, we did the parable of the Good Samaritan, and, and so there's uh, there's a story of the Good Samaritan, maybe you've heard that before. Um, a lot, a lot of these are, are a little bit more of the popular parables of Jesus. Uh, the one this morning is not necessarily as popular um, as those, but, I, but it deals with something that I think people, regardless of where you find yourself on the spectrum of faith or belief, uh, this particular topic um, is probably something that you're familiar with. In the parable this morning, Jesus is talking about this thing called prayer. Uh, now, prayer is a habit. Um, that we see Jesus all throughout his ministry um, do. But it's also something that um, whether you identify as a Christian, um, atheist, agnostic, maybe you're like, I'm not really sure what what I am. Prayer, here's a fascinating thing about prayer. Um, Prayer in a lot of ways, no matter where you're at on that spectrum, is probably something that you've done before. Like if you hang out with people long enough, uh, again, no matter where they're at on the spectrum, there's probably been a a time in their life where they have um, prayed, where they've practiced the type of communication um, to uh, to someone else. Uh, there's that saying, I don't know if you're familiar with it at all, but um, uh, there's a saying, that there's no atheist in the foxhole, right? It's kind of like a silly saying about, um, basically about in wartime, that um, when you're in the foxhole, everyone's praying, right? Like everyone's asking God to keep them uh, alive, that there's no real atheist in the foxhole. Now, that's kind of a... a I mean, it's silly saying, but the, the, what, essentially what it's trying to get at, the reality that that little saying is getting at, is really this, this kind of foundational thought that all of us, um, when we get to the baseline level of, of who we are as people, many times what happens is when we find ourselves in a place uh, where we can't control our circumstances, where it feels like everything's broken, where it feels like everything's lost, um, the base response many times regardless of where you find yourself, is like a, God, will you help me? Or somebody, will you help me? Prayer, uh, I, I think in a lot of ways, here's what I've been learning about prayer. I think prayer in a lot of ways um, is, is, is probably one of the strongest apologetics to the fact um, that we were created with purpose. That there's something deeper and richer and more robust going on than just like the physical stuff that we see. I think there's something that prayer reveals about us that says, no, I, I think that there's something more... And deeper and richer going on um c.s lewis he was a uh he wrote the line the witch and the wardrobe and he wrote a couple of other books he was a atheist aggressive atheist agnostic against christianity who became a christian incredible writer Uh, he gives this illustration that i think is, is really great so he says if you want to know what's in your basement um he's like you 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 don't go to your basement door and cut. some of you are like, I wish I had a basement because then I would have a house, and if I had a house, I would have more than one bathroom, and that would be awesome. All right, so um, he says, uh, if you want to know what's in your basement, you don't open the, you don't slowly open the door, cut on the light, and announce you're coming down. He's like that, you'll never find out what's actually in your basement if that's how you approach the basement. He's like, if you actually want to know what's in your basement, you sling the door open, you run downstairs really fast, and then you just look, look around, right? What C.S. Lewis says in that moment, right? That's you, you see this. The scattering, right? The rodents and the insects or whatever. They're, you know, everything that's going on in the basement that you don't want to know about is going on in the basement. That's how you find out what's in the basement, right? Now, the, the, the basis of, of what C.S. Lewis is basically saying in that moment is he's saying that we as people, how do we know what's really underneath us? How do we know what's really at a base level of who we are? Well, C.S. Lewis would say, well, the way in which we know is that when we find ourselves in a place... Where we're most, um, we, we figure out who we most are when we find ourselves in a place of desperation or in a place where we just go, I don't have the resources to do it. That's actually when you find out what's in the basement. When it's surprised, when you're surprised by your circumstances and your situation. And, and I think prayer in a lot of ways, again, I don't, I don't know where you're at on the kind of the like fate spectrum here, um, Prayer reveals, as a revealing character about who we are as a people and what, how we were uh, created and what we were created for. Okay, let's dive into um, this particular parable. So Luke chapter 11, starting in verse five through 13. So I read it, but I'll um, just kind of brush over it and then we'll talk for a bit. Uh, Luke 11, verse five. He says, he also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread Because a friend of mine on the journey has come to me, and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from the inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Verse 8, I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friends. Now hear this. He says, because of his friends, shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Okay, let's stop at verse 8. We'll look at um, 9 through 13 as we get on down. There's a lot going on here um, in this particular parable, but we'll we'll kind of talk through it. Um, so, so this time last year, uh, about this time last year, um, I was kind of like surveying life and surveying my own kind of personal life and um, just kind of, uh, you know, um, basically I just assess like, okay, God, uh, we, we, feel called um, to the city. Uh, if you're new here, our, our church is pretty young. We've, we've been in Boston about five years now, my wife and I. And our kids, I mean, they, they come with you when you do that. And so, um, and and I just was like, okay, there's a few things that are, like, are just going to need to happen if we're going to be healthy here, uh, if we're going to be here long term, um, if we're going to just, we want to be committed to the city and, and really be plugged into the city. And so I was just kind of looking at stuff going like, man, this is some, I, I just, some things are gonna have to change. And I'm not really sure how that's going to happen. I just, I don't know if you've ever found yourself in that position, but you're just like, I got some things that need to happen. And I just was like, God, I don't, I don't really know the way forward here. I, I don't really see how some of these things are going to happen. And, and and so I'm I'm going to need some help here. Uh, around that same time, I, I go to New York and, and so I'm in New York and uh, speaking of rodents, New York's a really gross place, by the way. If you've been before, it's like a, give me two nights in New York and I'm out. All right, so um, so I'm in New York, hanging out with some pastor, friends of, of mine or whatever, and so I'm talking with this one pastor who, uh, he's been doing church in New York for a long time, uh, leads a great church, and, and he's kind of a prophetic voice, an encourager, um, and so we're kind of talking, and, and a couple things have been happening over his life, um, just some incredible things over his life, and so we're, we're like chatting, and I'm kind of talking about some of our struggles that we have here, and um and these types of things and and he just sort of talking he kind of like gets dead stares at me you know and i'm like i'm like okay i need some help like give me some some help right and i'm thinking like give me some steps here you know what i mean like give me some real practical stuff that i can dive in and he was like he's like here's what you need to do here's what you need to do he's like you need to you need to contend with god and i was like okay great. That sounds great. I will contend with God, right? I was like, I like. can you, you know, it's not quite the answer I was looking for. I was looking for a little more like, you know, maybe some leadership strategies or some like connection, you know, networking. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, you need to, you need to contend with God. And he said, you need to contend with God in prayer. And I was like, okay, great. Thanks. Now I'm, I listen, I'm a pastor. I have a, a master's degree um, in, in I don't know, seminary, pastor, like prayer's a thing. Like I do it, you know what I mean? Like it's so far who I am, like I get paid to do it. And so anyways, I'm just kidding, I don't get paid to do it. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to contend with God with prayer. So I, I come back from New York and I'm like, all right, I, I respect him. Like I, I, I want to experience a, a life with God um, that's full of joy, um, that, that sees God as faithful and so I'm like here okay so here's what I'm going to do I'm going to I'm going to come back and I was like I'm going to make a list this was about this a year ago I was like I'm going to make a list before God. I'm going to put it in my notes app and I'm just like okay god here is what I need to like this is this is what I like I'm just going to make this list and so I I lay it out and I'm like boom like boom 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 put all these things down on paper and then I take uh, scriptures and I'm like I'm going to okay I'm going to take every scripture I can find on prayer uh, and then I'm going to drop those in this thing. And so I'm dropping, you know, uh, all, all these scriptures uh, uh, about prayer, right? And so it's like, um, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God, right? Like just everything I got, all the scriptures I can find on God's faithfulness and, and all, all these types of things and just throwing them in there. And, and, I, and I go on this like year long at this point, this year long journey of contending with God in prayer, in prayer and, and in fasting. Almost every workday of, of the week, I'm doing this. And, and, and the reason that I say that is because the scripture, they kind of, so I have all these scriptures going on, but the scripture I keep coming back to over and over and over again um, is this parable in particular. This parable of the persistent friend who keeps knocking on the door. There's something about this parable. That's like ringing deeply in my soul. That's hitting me at like a deep, intimate level. That's almost feeding. Um, it's it's feeding me and and pushing me forward in my prayer life with God. It's been a fascinating thing. Okay, so if, if we're looking at this, let's let's look back at. Um, at this. So if you're looking at this parable in Luke 11, um, a significant part of understanding this parable is understanding the context in which this parable um, is given to us. Uh, so if, if you follow Jesus' ministry at all, he had a ministry of about three years, um, one of the things that you're going to notice um, is that uh, many times Jesus is praying uh, all the time. He's just all the time he's praying, so much so that in, um, in uh, Luke chapter 11, his disciples come to him and basically say to him, hey, will you teach us to pray? Now, we've talked about this before, but of all the things that the disciples asked Jesus to do, the one thing that they asked Jesus to teach them to do is what? Pray. So they didn't say to Jesus, hey, will you um, teach us how to do interpersonal communication? Uh, Will you teach us how to do that multiplication thing that you did with the loaf of bread and fish? Will you teach us how to uh, walk on water? We kind of saw that. We know Peter didn't do great at. We would love. Will you, will you teach us how to do these things? No, it was God or, or Jesus teach us how to pray. There was something so compelling about the prayer life of Jesus that that's what they asked him for, was how to pray. And so Jesus, uh, Luke chapter 11 and verse one, um, he was praying in a certain place. When he finished, um, his disciples said, uh, teach us the pray and so then Jesus kind of goes into in this Luke 11 passage um, he goes in something called the Lord's Prayer. You know the Lord's Prayer uh, maybe you grew up with it um, maybe you recited it for like a sports team or whatever you know um, and, and you just it's it's our Father who art, you know, depending on what version you got, you know what I mean? You kick old school like King James, our father who art in heaven, you know, you can whatever. And, and so Jesus goes in and, and begins to teach them how to pray. He's like, okay, this is how you're going to pray. And he, he rolls all through um, this thing. Okay, now that's important. Um, so he teaches them the Lord's Prayer, and then he kicks into this parable. Now this context is important for where we're going. So he says, this is how you're to pray, and then he says, okay, now let me tell you a story. Uh, there was a friend who was asleep at night. He says it was midnight. Now, midnight means midnight, like mid of night. Not midnight, 12. Mid, like mid of night, dark, right? Not, he's not watching Netflix. Dark, right? And Jesus says the friend knocks on the door because he has um, unexpected guests who are coming through, and it is his responsibility to care for these guests to provide for these guests so he goes to his neighbor and he knocks and he says i need some bread he probably needed more than that but but he's like i i need and the friend is like no if i get out of bed everyone's sleeping in the same bed if i get out of bed all the family's there he's like if i get out of bed it's gonna wake everyone else i'm not coming now a middle eastern audience would have laughed at this story because they would be like of course he's going to get up like we have a responsibility to care for one another like, this is a, just a silly story. They're like, of course he's going to get up. Of course he's going to help this neighbor. Of course he's going to give him bread, right? Of course he's going to do it. But Jesus says, just let's just assume um, that the friend's like, no, it's not happening. Uh, I'm not getting up. It's going to wake everybody in my household. Please go away. But then Jesus moves on to the story and says, um, the friend's not leaving. He's not going away. And then in verse 8 of Luke 11, this is what the one who's in bed responds with i tell you even though he won't get up and give him anything because he's his friend so he says so so the guy gets up out of bed wakes up his whole family and it's not based on the fact that he's a friend it wasn't his friendship that compelled him he said yet it was because of his friends shameless boldness that he will get up and give him as much as he needs now let's put it all together this parable is a parable about prayer. Now, if you're anything like me, when 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 I first started reading this prayer and rolling this thing over in my head, it was um, unbelievably counterintuitive to how I would think I should approach God. Like honestly, most religious belief systems, if you were to take Jesus' approach to prayer here in the parable, and, and you were to say to them, this is the way that you approach your divine, would respond, uh, would basically say, uh, no, you're crazy. That's actually not the way that you respond to your God. That's not how you uh, approach your God. That's not how you pray to your God. But, th- but this, if you're, if you're looking at the, the scripture, um, this is what Jesus is, is saying. He's using descriptors like shameless boldness in prayer. He, he's essentially saying, here, here's the invitation that Jesus is giving to his listeners. He's saying, I want you to bother God in prayer. Go ahead. Like that's the invitation. To bother God in prayer. Like, go do it. Uh, again, um, Yancey writes this about prayer in this particular parable. He says, we should pray... Like a salesman with his foot wedged in the door opening, or like a wrestler who has his opponent in a headlock and won't let go. He says that's how we should pray. That that should be our uh, approach to um, prayer. Now, now, if you're 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 following along here, you're like, no, this doesn't really this doesn't really translate. There's no way that's what Jesus is saying to approach God in prayer as a persistent friend, as shameless boldness. Like, just you just keep coming back to him? No way. That can't be possible. Well, Luke 18, Jesus gives us another parable. He's going to push it even more. Instead of God being this individual who's asleep in bed, uh, God is now being compared to uh, an indifferent or evil judge. And Luke 18 tells the story of a widow who keeps coming before the judge over and over again. It's like, hear my case, hear my case, hear my case, hear my case. And the text actually tells us the judge doesn't fear God. The judge doesn't fear man. He's an evil judge. And then in Luke 18, 4 and 5, look look at the judge's response here. It says, even though I don't fear God or respect people. See that? Respect people. Look what he says, verse 5. He says, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that, why? So that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Another parable about prayer to God that says what? Be persistent, be uh, aggressive, keep coming to him. Okay, so I'm working this, like I'm reading these scriptures, right? I'm content. I'm contending with God in prayer, and I'm like trying to work this into the, the fabric. And I'm like, man, this just feels, you know, weird to me. Like this just feels awkward to me, right? But I'm I'm reading the text. I'm I'm seeing these parables. Uh, I'm reading the the bottom part of Luke 11, where it says like, n- you know, if anyone knocks, and I'm like you know, well, you don't, you know, you don't knock once, right? If you're knocking, you're like knocking, you know, unless you're doing door-to-door evangelism, and then you're like, you know, one time, then you're like, oh, they're not here. All right, so, but like normal knocking, you're like, you know, you're beating on the door. It says knock, knock, knock. This is the invitation to, to bother God, to, to pester God in, in, in prayer. So I'm like, what's happening here? I got I gotta, because I want to do this, but this makes no sense to me. Here, here it is. Again, context matters. If you don't hear anything else this morning hear this i think this is this is foundational in terms of it'll change your approach to prayer but it also will change your approach to god and life with god when jesus is instructing his followers these men and women to pray he's saying to them that the the position by which you pray what what is your position in prayer he said your position in prayer is one as a son or a daughter so what you are through jesus through his life death and resurrection this is what the gospel is right the life death and resurrection of jesus He says, what you are before god is now a daughter or a son and so when you come to him you're coming to him as your what your father your father we, we we know if again look at the context, uh, Luke eleven when he starts the Lord's prayer he says what, um, what's the how's the beginning when you pray you say Father. Uh, Luke uh, nine or eleven nine through thirteen the bottom part of the text that we have, he says so I say to you ask and it'll be given to you seek and you'll find knock and the door will be opened, for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be opened. verse eleven what father among you if his son asks for a fish will give him a snake instead of a fish or if he asks for an egg uh, will give him a scorpion if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask him so he says your position before god is of a son or daughter that that's when you pray um that that's what you um that's what you do uh, you you bother him now, if you're a parent, um, this makes total sense. Uh, even if you're not a parent, maybe you remember yourself as a kid. Oh, what do you know about kids? When kids want something, what do they do? Do kids, like, ask one time if they want something? No, 100%. Mine don't. It's like, um, no, you know, we're not doing that. And it's like, okay. And it's come back again. They're like, they're asking. I'm like, n- no, we're not doing that. Can, I, um, can we have the new Nintendo Switch? No. No, we can't. we can't have a new Nintendo Switch. We have a current one Nintendo Switch. So it's fine. Okay, cool, cool. No, no, got it. Okay, good. It's like we're driving down the road. I'm like, oh, man, okay, this is great. We're driving down the roads. But I was like, um, you know, I uh, was uh, just browsing the New York Times the other day, and I noticed that kids who have the new Nintendo Switch, their test scores increased by 10%. I just thought that was cool. No, we're not getting a Nintendo Switch. You can stop that. You can stop that mess. We're not doing that. You know, it's like, okay, we're done. It's like, I come in, there's a clipping on the thing. You know, it's like, whatever. It's like, no, no, like this is what kids do, right? There's like, mom, dad. Mom, Dad, Mom, Dad, Mom, Dad, Mom, Dad. Like they just keep asking, right? Until you just they just wear you down. Like right? it's a next level wear down. So why we're tired all the time? And so it's just like no, no, no. You know, it's, this is what kids do. They 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 bother. They they like pester their their parents. they just over and over and over again. It, it's because why? It's because positionally, this is what kids do. And Jesus is saying in prayer. Your position before God is of a daughter or a son. A daughter of a son. So you have permission in that sense to be the persistent friend, to, to be the widow who doesn't give up, to keep going, dad, 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 dad. Like, you know, again, I'm, I'm working this in, I'm like sitting, thinking about it, I'm like, okay, there's no way. Like, I just can't. It's like, no, I mean, it, um, so if you read the Old Testament, right, um, there's a story where uh, Abraham, Father Abraham, uh, he, um, this happens in, in Genesis uh, chapter 18, uh, God's gonna destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. <clears throat> and Abraham goes to God and says, uh, will you save it if I can find 50 people? And, and God's like, yes, I will relent if you can find 50 people. And Abraham's like, okay, that's cool. What about 45? would you surely you wouldn't kill the city i mean surely surely not for because five people like if i just because i couldn't find five more people you're going to destroy the city like surely you're not gonna do that And god's like okay you find 45 and i will not destroy the city and, and abraham's like oh, man that's you are so kind and gracious how about 35 right you <laughs> read it go you can read it Genesis 16 and then and, and god's like okay 35 and abraham's like 30 you know it just keeps going and it's like they're just driving inside 20 god man you're so good god 20 what if i can find 20 people and god's like okay that that's fine man that's so good i love 20 is a good number you know what's a better number than 20 10 what about 10 god can i find 10 and gets all the way down to five right and god's like okay i will relent if you can find five people what is that contending right you see it, Moses, you read the stories of Moses, and he's like, there's multiple times where Moses is like, don't, please don't, kill, like, don't kill the people. Don't. Or Moses literally says to God, I'm I'm not going unless you go with us. Just be who you are, like, be, like, and there's this, this sense in which there's this invitation from God to his people to say, I, I want you um, in prayer, I want you coming to me with a type of prayer of, of, a stance that's persistent over and over again. But again, this is counterintuitive to what it feels like we should be approaching God, or at least that's how I felt. I was like, surely this can't be, um, this, this can't be the way that, that we should um, be doing it, but it, it's true. We're his kids. We have access to him. I mean, think about the, think about the access that kids have to their parents that no one else has you'd be the president of the United States, right? And your kid will roll up in there, no stress, like unbothered, right? Like my my four-year-old son could just roll down the aisle and, and he's done that before. Uh, but, but he could just like come up to the aisle and no one's tackling him, right? No one's gonna wrestle him to the ground and like, like, hey, you should go back or whatever, right? Like just, it's just access. Like they don't even, kids don't even know. It's like, no, that's my dad or that's my mom. This is who we are positionally before God. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, um, we have access to Him. So maybe you're hearing this, and you're like, "Nah, I'm just not feeling it. I'm still not feeling that. That this approach to God, where I'm like going to Him, persistent, asking, 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 keep going to Him and asking and asking and asking. Like I, that just doesn't. I can't do it. Like I can't do it. Um, I think if if some of you are uncomfortable with that approach, um, that essentially, and this is what I've learned about prayer. Um, is that really all that does is reveal the fact that you have an identity issue. It reveals the fact that you don't actually believe that God is your father and that you're his son or you're his daughter. If you don't feel that you can do that with God, what that reveals about what you believe about God and what you believe about yourself reveals you have an identity problem. Because the scriptures are are clear. Uh, John 1, 12, it says, but to all who did receive him, talking about Jesus, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be what? Soldiers of God, disciples of God, church members of God. No, it says, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believed in his name. This is what happens. Um, What does it mean to be a Christian? Uh, Does it mean that you commit now to to do good? Uh, That you commit to live a good life? Um, Does it mean to become a Christian means that you pray, that you go to church, that you be a nice person? Does does becoming a Christian mean that you say to God, I'm going to work really um, hard now? I'm going to work really hard for you now? Is that what it means to become a Christian? No. If that is what it means to become a Christian, it means that God is our employer and not our dad. Some of you, your approach to God in prayer is you're approaching God as your employer and not as your dad. You're seeing him as your boss. Now, think about that relationship. Um, you don't ask your boss for something unless you got like unless your numbers that quarter are great right like you do not go to your boss if unless you are killing it like your evaluations are up like things are going well right like if you're going to approach your boss for something it's very formal like you're watching you're seeing how they're coming in you're watching their walk right you're just kind of seeing everything you're like is this the day I'm going to approach my boss like am I going to am I going to come to them and and you're going to go to them when you've been doing well your work's doing well your evaluations are well it feels like your relationships are doing well and then you're gonna ask your boss for something, you're, gonna be like, you're just gonna ask him and you're gonna be like, hey, just had a quick question, like, um, I don't know, could we work in like a lunch break? Do you know what I mean? And then you're gonna ask that and you're gonna back up, you're just like, okay, it's this, this cool. Do, do that, whatever, right? Maybe a bathroom break, you know, or something, I don't know. But, but you're gonna go and that's gonna be very measured and it's gonna be one time and you're not gonna bother him or her. You're not gonna pester them. You're most certainly not gonna ask them for something. Go back to your office. Get on Slack. Slack them and ask them if they've, you know, thought about it some more. You're not gonna send them an email the next day. You know, you're not gonna wake up the next day and be like, send them another email. You're not gonna wake up the next day and write a, a handwritten letter, maybe a postcard, leave it on their desk, and want to know what you're thinking about this thing or whatever. You don't do that with a boss, do you? No, you don't. You do that with a dad. You do that with a parent. You, in Christ, through Jesus, are a daughter or son of God. He is not your employer. You don't have to just come to prayer, come to God in prayer, if you feel like you've done enough good things. If you've read your Bible enough, or you've been generous enough, or you've not looked at porn, or you've not said a cuss word, or you've not whatever, like that, you, you don't have to build up some kind of like really healthy rhythm in your life. So now that you can come to God in prayer for that one thing that you need to come to God in prayer for, Jesus says, Be like the friend at the door who doesn't give up because you're a son or daughter of God. Do you, I mean. You see that, that the key to having a prayer life that is a uh, that leans into being persistent in prayer, the key to that is your adoption in Christ. That's the key. Um, adoption that, that all of us have become sons and daughters, uh, adoption through the life and death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus um, is not a change in nature or even a behavior Uh, adoption is a change in status before god that's our reality that we now enjoy what is it what does it mean to be adopted before god or by god through jesus it means that we enjoy the privileges and the intimacy and the unconditional acceptance that no one else gets that's what it means to be a son or daughter of god this is the reality of our adoption and so jesus says you have access to God that no one else has. He's your father. So you can approach God in one of, one of two ways. You can approach God as your boss and just every once in a while ask him for something if you're feeling great you feel good about your, your like Christian discipleship in life. Or you can approach God as your father and go, hey, it's your son again. It's your daughter again. I just want to ask again for this thing. Your your prayer life, at least what I'm finding, um, is that my prayer life, my persistent prayer life, this this, this posture before God of coming back to him, coming back to him, coming back to him, it actually revealed a lot about what I think about myself and what I think about God. And the more that I looked at the scripture, again, because I'm looking at the scripture and I'm like, does my belief about God Um, actually line up with the scriptures. Because if I'm hesitant to go before him as a persistent friend or as a widow who doesn't give up, actually reveals the fact that I don't believe that I'm securely a son of him. Uh, A.W. Tozer has this great quote. Um, He he basically says that um, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And so this parable is about um, prayer. And I think the, the, the foundational way in which we can uh, approach God in prayer is as a son and daughter. That's how we should be doing it. That gives us the ability to, to pester him, to, to bother God, to, to come before him over and over again. But this is like your adoption, your sonship or daughtership in God is actually the foundation of your whole walk of your whole f- walk with Jesus, your whole Christian discipleship is whether you embrace that reality or not. Uh, I have found in prayer, here's what i found in my prayer life over the last year. I am most myself when I pray. I'm most myself. I feel most comfortable actually after a while, it took a while, verbalizing to God what I really feel and what I really want. Right, you know, I'm most myself. Where it's like, man, if I don't, want, I want to say this. out Some of you maybe are like this. You're like, man, if I say it out loud, you know, God will take it from me because He wants me to walk and you know, you know, the cost is heavy, you know, or whatever. <laughs> you're know, like, if I say it out loud, He'll take it. You know, He's like, oh, you love that too much. Just go. It's no. Say it before him. So I want. Now, over the last year, uh, that list, that running list, I have, um, God has answered in miraculous ways almost everything on that list almost like the, the two biggest things on that list he answered in last year now has he answered all of them no does god answer every prayer um no uh, what I, the other thing i'm also learning about prayer is it in the same way that i tell my kids no and they don't understand it and they don't quite grasp it and they can't see out in front the way that i can see out in front i'm also learning as a son um that that I, I pray unrelentingly. Uh, I, I pray aggressively, like a kid, you know, essentially prays to their parent aggressively. I also pray um, trustingly to him. And I present them and say, just t- take them. Here I am. I, I know that you're here. I know that you're there. I know that you're present. And so I'm just going to be very clear with you. Uh, if this thing doesn't happen, I'm going to pray for us. If this thing doesn't happen, it won't be because I didn't communicate it to you. It won't be because I didn't contend in prayer uh, to you. And so we have this beautiful parable by Jesus that presses against um, not just our prayer life, but our foundational identity. And so I just wanna say this, and I'll, I'll be done. Um, as you think about your life with God, if, maybe if you're here and you identify as a Christian, um, if you, as you think about and process your life with God, Pray to him. Let's talk specifically about prayer. Pray to him. Just this next week, just pray to him as a son or as a daughter. Have that approach and see if it doesn't change. See if it doesn't change your approach to him in prayer.